This is Susie Milano. She's part of our church community. She was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia. And she's going to be reading our text today, which is Romans chapter 5, if you need a Bible. Um, we have some folks who can give those to you. I'll stall for a second while that happens, and then uh, go ahead and come forward. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, we have been, because the, the letter to Romans was meant to unify a, a, a community of Christ that had ethnic differences and, and challenges, we, just, we wanted to lift up these words in, um, in many languages in this season. And so Susie's going to read it in... Um, in Spanish, and then I will read it in English. Romans 5. Romanos 5, del 1 al 5. En consecuencia, ya que hemos sido justificados mediante la fe, tenemos paz con Dios por medio de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. También por medio de Él y mediante la fe, tenemos acceso a esta gracia en la cual nos mantenemos firmes. Así que nos regocijamos en la esperanza de alcanzar la gloria de Dios. Y no solo en esto, sino también en nuestros sufrimientos, porque sabemos que el sufrimiento produce perseverancia, la perseverancia entereza de carácter, la entereza de carácter esperanza, y esta esperanza no nos defrauda, porque Dios ha derramado su amor en nuestro corazón por el Espíritu Santo que nos ha dado. Since some of us took four years of Spanish and can't remember any of it. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susie. Can we thank her for reading the word today? So good to be together. Happy Mother's Day. A few weeks back, I was given the preaching assignment for Mother's Day. It's a fun conversation in my house. And I, I looked at my wife and I was like, I'm preaching on Mother's Day. And she stared at me for a second and said, whatever, I already bought my own gift. So <laughs> just try to not screw it up since you'll be gone all day. <clears throat> this passage of scripture that we just, that's all. Uh, happy Mother's Day. This passage of scripture is a treasure that we just read. We could spend weeks on all of the words and themes and wonders of this text, but instead we get about 30 minutes or so. And so today I want to talk to you about the theme of access. I want to talk to you about the access of grace. And to do that, I'm going to tell you a story about my life. And um, somewhere in the middle of this story, you are going to be tempted to think that my life is better than yours. And I want you to resist that temptation that temptation, okay? Resist the devil and he will flee, okay? But you're going to feel that, so I'm warning you, okay? In 2011, my, myself, my wife, and our, at the time, one-year-old son named Judah were traveling to our hometown of Santa Rosa, California, which is in the Bay Area. And the most important thing about the Bay Area is that it's where the San Francisco Giants play baseball, right? 
That is the, no, okay. Split the room already, okay. So my wife and I were heading back to California and I encouraged my wife to hint to her father who were visiting that he ought um, to see if he could uh, get us tickets to the game, okay? I just kind of hinted at this, and just a few days before we left, he, he told us that he had secured tickets for the game. That word secured is a really good word to use regarding tickets. It tells you that a person has connections, and that these tickets weren't like a shady Craigslist deal on a sketchy street corner, you know what I'm saying? Like this, he's like, I have secured tickets, and I felt secured about what kind of experience we might have, okay? So as it turned out, the tickets that we, that we had for that day were amazing. If you ever watch baseball, and I know that you don't, um, if, but if you watch baseball, no one's perfect, but uh, the, the, the visual of the game is a camera that's behind the pitcher that looks in past the pitcher to the, the batter, the catcher, the umpire, and then behind all of them is what's called the backstop. Are you with me? Okay, and so when you watch games, you see about 10 to 15 people sitting behind the backstop, and what you need to know about those people is that they're doing well in their life. It's some kind of measure. They're doing quite well, and on that day, I was doing quite well with them, and I was able to, just one day, I'm telling you, this is one day, it's not every day, it's not every game, okay? But that day, I got to sit and enjoy the game. My friends could see me on television. They were texting me, you look like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, it was fantastic. The game itself was amazing. The food, <coughs> the food is better there. That's a fact. And uh, after the game ended, the game itself was amazing. But after the game ended, my father-in-law turns to us and said, let's walk down this tunnel right behind us. And I thought I was like in the Price is Right or something. I'm like, what is back there? And we walked through this tunnel. And we walked through the tunnel. And I quickly realized I am standing in front of the locker room for the home team San Francisco Giants. And literally all of the players walked past me. And, um, and this was a sweet moment. This was like a wholesome moment. They're there, like their wives and kids are standing there. Um, at the time in 2011, the shortstop was a, was a rookie named uh, Brandon Crawford. He's like 22 years old. He's just standing there talking to his mom. And then I'm right there with him. No one was talking to me, but I was there. <laughs> and it's not just current players that, that, that you get to interact with in that, in that kind of moment. Because the Giants are such a historically prestigious team, there are many famous Giants who will hang out in this sort of VIP access area. Willie Mays is not only the greatest giant of all time, he's the greatest baseball player of all time. That's a fact. That's a fact. And he often frequents the halls in this, in this hallway. Willie was not there today, uh, on that day. But Willie McCovey, who's the second greatest giant of all time, was there that day. He rode right past me in a golf cart. And I have never felt more important in my life in 2 Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul describes a transcendent moment in his life where he reached the third heaven, and nobody knows at all what that means, but I do. <laughs> I now do. Because on that day, in 2011, I was there with him. Okay. Why? Why was I there? One word. Access. 
See, these incredibly expensive tickets included not just access to a game, but access to the ones who played in that game. I was permitted into an area where common fans, and and other than that day, every time I've gone to a game, I've been a common fan. Common fans aren't allowed into that area. You You can't just walk in if you're sitting in the cheap seats or in the bleachers, which I have done dozens of times, and you try to go through that tunnel, access denied, security. I've experienced this personally, I'm kidding. Have you ever been denied access to a place you're trying to go? It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? You're trying to get into some place and they're like, no, you don't have access. You don't have access to this space. But on that one day, I had access to the place that was basically the most important place in the world to me at that moment. Okay, you're feeling like my life is better than you, so we'll just end it there. I want to talk to you all today about a kind of access that is offered to every human being. It is the access of grace. And what I want to do today is I want our vision of grace to expand. I want us to think of grace as past, present, and future. I'll say it this way. Grace redeems our past, but there's more. Grace transforms our present, even our present suffering. And there's even more than that. Grace secures our future. We're going to see that today in this text. I want you to turn back and look back into Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. So this text that we just read, it is called a bridge text. And what that means is at this point, we're about a third of the way through Romans. And in chapters 1 through 4, Paul is making a case that the religious need the gospel of grace and that the irreligious Pagans need the gospel of grace as well. Paul is saying that the law was unable to make people righteous. He would say that our works are powerless to make us right before God. But God in Christ has gifted us righteousness and he has declared us to be so. And so I want you to notice here in verse 1. Let's just read this again, okay? These are, the, these are the words of verse 1 that Paul says about what grace has done to our past. Therefore, now let me pause. Therefore is one of the most important Bible words. When you see the word therefore, you should do two things. You should reread what you read before. We're not going to do this today, but you can do this when you go home. You should reread what you just read, and you should slow down and notice what is said. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been declared righteous or counted righteous, we've been talking about this theme of justification for for weeks now. We have been justified by faith. I want you to look at what it says right here. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an astounding statement. We have peace with God. This is not the peace of God, which you'll read about in the scriptures. The peace of God is a blessed but subjective feeling that we can often experience in our lives. The peace of God, which transcends understanding. But Paul is talking about something different here. He is talking about peace with God that has been created through justification. So I need to tell you something today that is unpopular and and may not land well for some of you, but it is true. 
You are either at peace with God or you are at war with God. Neutrality, Switzerland or whatever, is not actually an option. You're either at peace with God or you are at war with God. And apart from faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible would tell you that you are in fact at war with God. And so this is, this is what that means. So when we disobey God, when we disobey God's word and his ways, it is not just that we do bad things, um, but that we assume the right to do so. So sin is this. Sin is claiming a kind of authority over yourself and your world. But here's the problem is God claims authority over the exact same things. We try to claim our authority, our right to do whatever we want, but God would say to us that this world that you live in is my creation. And even you are my creation. And so when the Bible talks about us as enemies of God, it's not primarily talking about how God feels about us. It simply says this, you and God are laying claim to the exact same thing. And that makes you at war with God. But in salvation, here's what happens. In salvation, we surrender to God by believing and trusting that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that we need his salvation, which is offered to us by grace and grace alone. Romans, if you turn back, Romans 3, verses 24 to 25, says this about our condition. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but listen to this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll say it to you this way, grace redeems our past. And we oftentimes... Our, our vision of grace is, I'll say this, is limited to what we see here. We view grace as something that God gives us for our past. Or, or we would say grace is just what God gives us um, when we sin. But I want to tell you this morning, I have to tell you, that is true, but there's more. There's more to grace than simply God's redemption of our past. It is that, that is true, but there's more because grace is about our present and it's about our future. And this passage, which illuminates so many great truths about our life in Christ, it wants to tell us what else grace does in us and to us. And so I want to talk to you about how grace transforms our present. And not just sort of our present if things are going well, but the way that grace transforms our present sufferings and afflictions. Look in at this with me. This is verse two. Verse two says this, it has just told us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but then it says there's actually more. It says through him, through Christ, we have also obtained, there's that word, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I love the way the NIV translates that. It gets at the, the truth that this is a present statement into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice. Notice it looks to the future in the hope of the glory of God. Faith in Jesus gives us access to grace 
And it's in that grace that right now we stand. If you are at peace with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then you can stand in that grace right now. It's ongoing. And so what Paul does is he, he believes this in such a profound way that he says, this is how good grace is. It transforms you even in suffering. Look at what verse three says right here as he goes on. He says, not only that, again, this just keeps, Paul here just keeps stacking blessing on blessing on blessing. Notice what he says. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now I want you to look at this verse as well. We're talking about how grace transforms our present But notice here, and I want you to just look in your Bibles and see this. He doesn't say we rejoice for our sufferings. He says we rejoice in our sufferings. That's the access of grace. Enables us to rejoice even in our sufferings. But there's a difference in rejoicing in your suffering and rejoicing for your suffering. Rejoicing for our suffering is called masochism. And what this is, is this is when broken people, they, 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 they celebrate their suffering all the time as if it was sort of a badge of honor. And they justify their life by the amount of pain that they experience and it's, and it's, it's a toxic way to live. And honestly, when, for people who struggle with that sort of masochistic tendencies, a lot of the pain in their life is self-inflicted. They may blame it on God and others, but because they sort of rejoice for suffering, they miss out on what God can do in suffering. Are you with me? So this is not rejoicing for suffering. It's something different than that. And even more, so this is rejoicing in suffering is not to sort of celebrate a cancer diagnosis or to celebrate the sudden death of someone you love or the loss of a job. Paul is, Paul is talking, is that me? I don't know, I like, that might be me. Um, did I just lose? Okay, I'm back. I'm getting back into what I was talking about. Okay, rejoicing in suffering We are able to do that because of the access to God's grace that we have. It's because God has invited us into relationship with him. Redeems our past, but it transforms our present experience. I want to say this about the word grace. Grace in Greek, it actually means this. It means, grace means to extend yourself towards someone. Literally, grace means to lean towards someone with the intention to give them something. Grace is is not just God's forgiveness of your sin. It is that, but it is God leaning toward you in favorable disposition. The God of grace, you must know this, will never turn from you. He is always turning toward you. He is always leaning in to your life even in your darkest hour. And so Paul is so convinced of this that he gives a paradigm for how God transforms us in our suffering, 
how God meets us in our suffering and what he does in us. Now, I'll say this before I show you the paradigm, which is profound. Oftentimes, Christians can get stuck because they ask questions like this. God, what are you doing to me right now? When we suffer, we say things like, is, is God actually doing this to me? And that can quickly move toward something like, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? And I want to invite you into a different kind of question today as we enter into this paradigm. And the question is this, what if we began to ask God, God, what are you doing in me right now? We go right to God, what are you doing to me? We place blame on him. But what if we shifted that question to begin to wonder when we suffer, when we experience pain and affliction, God, what are you doing in me? Here's what Paul tells us is actually happening. It's right there in verse four. He tells us, do we have that? Ooh, back up, actually. Verse three, there we go. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Paul wants to tell us today that God is doing something in us when we suffer. And in particular, and this isn't for all forms of suffering. I guess I'll say it this way. This is only true of your life if you stand in grace. This is only true of your life if you are not at war with God, but are objectively at peace with God because you have surrendered to his love in Christ. Are you with me? This is what is true for those who are at peace with God. And Paul gives us this sort of this wonderful paradigm. He says, here's what happens. Suffering produces endurance. I want to talk about that word endurance Endurance, so when we read a sentence like this, we want to skip past endurance, right? Like, I don't want to, like, endurance is hard. I want to go straight to character and hope and glory. But that's not the way it works. Suffering produces endurance. Okay, I remember a few years back, I had a dream to run a half marathon at a pace it was impressive if you're a middle-aged dad, but not, not more if, you know, I mean, it's just really not that impressive. But for me at that time, this was um, what I thought was very impressive. And so I trained to do that, but I didn't train all the way. Okay. I, I could run at the required mile pace for eight miles. And I don't know if you know this, but a half marathon is 13.1 miles. Okay. Okay. So that's a fact. And, um, uh, I was able to run, you know, the tempo for eight miles. And this is what I figured, because sometimes I think highly of myself. I was like, my mental toughness is just going to kick in at around mile 10. And I will just, you know, skip into glory. And that is not what happened. On mile nine, I, uh, this, is, this is actually sad. On mile nine, I blacked out, okay? I have no recollection of this moment. I literally... My, something happened on mile nine and I woke up in a hospital about 30, this is, I know this is sad. And about 30 minutes later, I like, I'm like, where in the world am I? I've never been, I've never been more confused in my life. 
And um, I made it through that little hospital stint, but it was, it was pretty scary for a few moments there. And you can ask my wife about that. She would, so, okay, so I, this was in the South. I was visiting my sister and uh, we were running a half marathon together. And uh, I, just, I just figured that I had worked on endurance, but I actually hadn't. And so there was a lot of conditions that day that made it hard to run. It was incredibly hot, and we don't really deal with humidity here, but it was, it was very humid in Nashville, Tennessee that day. And so there was a lot, there's a lot of reasons that I could give excuses for why it didn't happen, but I know this to be true. I didn't suffer my way into endurance. And endurance is what we need to produce character. The closest English word we have for the... Um, The Greek word there is the word steadiness. And there's a steadiness that is produced by those who have suffered. Okay, let's keep going on. It says that suffering produces endurance, and then endurance produces character. And that word for character in there is the the Greek word for tested, or the theme of testedness. And we want to go straight to character, but we can't bypass endurance. But when I hear the word character, I think of a couple of people in my life that I deeply admire. And in fact, I want to invite you to do that, even right now. I want you to think of a person or two that you deeply admire. And I'm thinking in particular, not just sort of in like the business that you do or or like whatever. I want you to think particularly about a believer in Jesus that you admire deeply. Someone who you would strive to become more like. Who is it? What do you notice about that person when, when you think of them? What kind of character traits do they have? I'm going to make a wager with you right now. I bet that the person you're thinking of has suffered I bet that that person, you don't admire them because of the ease of their life. You admire them because of the endurance, the steadiness in their life that was produced through suffering and it shaped their character. So for me, I think of, I think of a couple of people in my life that have been super important. One is someone I do not know and one is someone I do know very well. When I, when I think of um, sort of a theological hero of mine, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And his words weigh heavily on, on me because I know that when he said, and this is one of his most famous quotes, when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I know that that was not just a spiritual metaphor for him, but that that actually was his experience. He literally gave his life for the sake of, of Christ, or I think of my mentor, and this dude is, he's like unflappable, and I'm flappable, and he's unflappable, and it just blows my mind. There's literally days I will frantically run into one of our meetings. I'm always 10 minutes late. He always is relaxed. He's like, I've just been here thinking about how wonderful you are, and I'm just like sweating, and I'm struggling to get there, and and, and there he is. And I literally, at times, I, I ask questions like, is there anything that can steal your joy? And he says, no, nothing. And he doesn't say that with an ounce of pride 
or arrogance. It's, it's simply this reality. He, his life has been forged in the fire of struggle and suffering, and yet he chose to stand in grace when bitterness was an option. When walking away from his faith was an option, he chose to press in. Why? Because of access. The ongoing, transformational access to the grace of God that we have when we are at peace with God. When we stand in grace, what is produced in us is character and Christ-likeness and maturity the ability to slow down when everybody is freaking out. And don't you want that? But how does that happen? It happens when we suffer, but when we suffer by standing in grace. When we stop asking questions like, God, what are you doing to me right now? And start asking questions like, Father, what are you doing in me right now? What are you hoping to produce in my life, in this season? Do you ever begin to just wonder that? Wonder in your heart and in your mind and even, and even wonder out loud to the people that you know and share life with. I'm wondering what God's trying to produce in my life. What do you think God's trying to produce in my life right now? What if you begin to ask that question even now? And then we, so we're told that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now I want you to turn one page to the right, maybe two for you. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 8 and learn a little bit, a little something about hope. I'm going to read you this passage that we will preach sometime this fall. Um, the chances though, like you're not going to remember this sermon by Tuesday, so it's fine to read ahead, am I right? <laughs> It's fine for us to read ahead. We ought to read ahead because Paul is, he's drawing us into, um, it's a progression that he's making in his letters. He's building on these themes. Listen to what he says here in Romans chapter eight about hope. Verse 24 through 26. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then he says this, I just want to sneak this in. He says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Amazing hope. So there was once a, um, an athlete who was not that famous, but I want to tell you about her. There was once an American distance swimmer named Florence Chadwick. Right? Is the, do names get better than that? Florence Chadwick. In 1952, Florence attempted to swim the 20 plus miles across what is called the Catalina Channel, which goes from Catalina Island to Palos Verde, uh, which is just off the coast of California. Now, I used to live in Southern California, and on a clear day, you could see all the way to Catalina Island, and never once in my life have I thought to myself, I bet I could swim there. Like it's close enough to see, but like not, like give me a boat, you know? So, so she was um, the first woman to swim the channel, but, but I want to tell you about what happened the first time she tried to swim the channel. So due to the threat of danger in the ocean, sharks, um, due to the 
um, how cold the water was and due to, primarily due to a particularly dense fog that it settled, she actually gave up um, 19 miles into her swim. And the swim is 20 miles. So Florence had gone 95%, that's math, 95% of the way. And she gave up. And this is what, I just want to read to you what she said after that. She was interviewed after this sort of failed attempt. And this is what she said to reporters. She said this, she says, look, I'm not, a make, I'm not making excuses. But if I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. She said, if I would have known where I was on the journey, on the race, if I had known how close I was, I would have kept going. That's a sad story, isn't it? But two months later, she she made it, okay? So it's a happy story. She was able to make it because confidence sort of rose up within her. But how much of our life are we saying this, if I could just see it, if I could just see what's happening in my life, if I could just see how this particular suffering, this particular challenge, if I could just see how it was all going to work out, I would make it, but we often can't see it. We often can't see exactly what's going to happen, but will we persevere in it? That's the question. And I want to tell you how we begin to do that. Please look back at Romans 5. There's something very profound that is said in verse 3 here that I want you to carry and hold of chapter 5. Verse 3 of chapter 5. Paul says this. He says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And I intentionally left this word out, but I want you to see it right now when I read it earlier. He says, knowing. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Knowing that endurance produces character and knowing that character produces hope. I want to talk about that word knowing. The word knowing that is used right there, it's a word that bridges two things. It bridges and connects the idea of seeing, like physically seeing something with metaphorically seeing something. Okay, so have you ever been explained something confusing and then after a while, like the sermon, like have you ever been explained something? Did you catch that? Okay. And, and after a while, you're like, oh, I can see what you mean. I can see it now. That's what Paul is getting after in this text. The idea of being able to know by seeing. When we stand in the grace of God, we can know even when we don't see. What can we know? We can know that God's doing something in us. We can know that God is transforming our lives. Florence was able to go back out into the waters of the channel and make it because she knew she could make it. She knew that even if she couldn't see that she had trained and that she had endured to the degree that even if it was pitch black, if I keep swimming, I'm going to make it. And I think Paul in this passage is just, he sort of slows down a theological argument and he looks at this church, this community of people, and he wants them to know 
that they're going to make it. To not give up. Because God's doing something in you right now, even if you're suffering. Even if, it, even if you can't see ahead. We just sung about this. I love that song. Even if you can't see God is doing something in you. He's transforming, and you can actually know that. And that brings us right into our final theme, that grace, we know it redeems our past, it transforms our present, but grace secures our future. Let's look at this very last verse in verse 5 of chapter 5. Paul, he's, he's, go, he's stacking just blessing on blessing on blessing, and then he says, hope which is produced by character. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. At this point, in this verse that I just read, is our first introduction in the letter to Romans to the Holy Spirit. If you read back through chapters one through four and into five, to this point, we have not been introduced to the third member of the divine trinity, the Holy Spirit. So here's what I need to tell you today. The gift of grace is not just that God has forgiven us. The gift of grace is not just that he has given us peace with him. The gift of grace is not just that he has given us a paradigm for suffering. It is all those things, but it's more. The gift of grace is that God has given us himself. Not just truth, but a person. Not just a paradigm, but presence. And we can stand in that. Our access to God is, is not just to the grace of God. Our access is to the God of grace. When we put our faith in Jesus... The Holy Spirit fills our hearts and lives. You will never be denied by God. He only turns towards you. He only leans in to you. He never turns away. He's not your enemy. He's your friend. You are his child. It was once said that the only person who dares to call out for a king and wake him up at 3 a.m. in the morning is his kids. And God has declared that that is actually who you are. You have unhindered VIP access to the God of grace in every moment of your life. And that grace secures your future. He will never deny you. Your past has been redeemed. Your present, even if it's full of suffering and affliction, is, is being used to transform you into the likeness of Jesus, and your future is secure. You're going to make it. So, in closing, how do we access this reality? How do we live into this? I want to invite you this week into one of the sacred spiritual practices or, dif or disciplines this one is called the practice of scripture memorization. Okay, that's, you didn't see that coming, did you? How do we step into that reality? How do we stand in the grace of God? Well, 
A couple of months ago, Adam, um, our senior pastor, was, was meeting with um, some leaders on our staff, and he challenged us. He said, I want you to all memorize this very text. This one that we looked at today, Romans 5, 1 to 5, he says, I want you to memorize it. I want you to soak in it. I want you to saturate your mind with these words. And then after, and we did this over a period of time and we would come gather and just the conversation around the depths of, of glory that is in this passage, it was astounding to hear what people began to say about this text as they had begun to put it to memory. Have you memorized scripture? It's hard work. It's not like I'm not really good at, at memorizing scripture, but I am pretty good at self-loathing. And I'm pretty good at, and I'm being serious, I'm pretty good at like this sort of crippling introspection that just plagues my life. I've always been good at this. And the way that I defeat that is by learning to stand in the grace of God. And the way that I stand in the grace of God is when I feel that, that sort of introspection that is not good, I say this, I am his masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus, so that the good which he prepared for me long ago could become my way of life. Now that's a translation of Ephesians 2.10, and a mentor in my life assigned me that passage. He said, here's the only thing I have, like you need to memorize and saturate your mind with that passage. And so when I feel the sort of weight of guilt and shame, I just start to say, I'm his masterpiece, created anew. And I wanna call you to do that and to do that with this text, to stand in the grace of God in Christ to learn to live in that reality. Maybe even start by memorizing this week this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And just think about that for a second. Justified by faith. By faith, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What if you just began to memorize that today and tomorrow? But then tell yourself this, but there's more. There's more to the grace of God. That is true, but there's more. And begin to speak that blessing, that grace over your own life and the people that you love and care for. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together today. What a gift it is to be declared righteous. Lord, I just believe that in this moment, there's, there's people in this room who are your friends, but they believe so often that they are in fact enemies with you. I pray God that you would speak truth to that lie. I pray that grace would fill our hearts and fill our minds. That we would know that as we put our faith in Christ, 
We're not your enemies. We're your friends. We're your children. That is who you say we are. You've redeemed our past. And Lord, I do believe that there are some in this space who are suffering in just deep ways. And our faith doesn't have cheap or easy answers for that, Lord. But for those who are suffering today, I pray, Lord, please, Lord, I pray. Help them to know and to see that you are doing something in them right now. And may the truth of that just be rehearsed in their mind. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope, Lord. We will never be put to shame. And even now, Lord, we look ahead to the future with hope. Even now we can rejoice because we are in Christ. And in him, all things are ours. We worship you, Jesus. Amen.